on the street, he or she, whether they're very familiar with the scriptures at all, will probably know Matthew 7, 1. Um, most people know the part that says, judge not and you be not judged. And we basically reduced it today in our culture to say, don't judge me. So I'm going to say right off the bat, if you don't like anything in this sermon, don't judge me. <laughs> uh, if you do an internet search and you put the phrase, the Bible says not to, put that phrase in there sometime and you'll get all kinds of answers. The first one is, the Bible says not to eat pork. I'm not sure why that is first. But it is. The second one is the Bible says not to judge. It is right at the very top of the list. Getting tattoos, worrying, or some other things that are listed there. But judging others is right at the top of it. Not surprising, honestly, because uh, don't judge me fits into the prevailing cultural basic assumptions that we have in our day. Uh, one of them being religion is private. So it's really between me and God about my relationship with him and how I worship him. And that means if I want to come to church, I will. And if I don't, I don't want to. I'll worship him. So there's all this privatization of religion today. And secondly, and maybe more appropriate to what we're saying, is that morality is relative. And that, I mean, it means you can't really tell anyone anymore that what they're saying or doing is right or wrong. Um, people use the little phrase, don't judge me, kind of like a defense mechanism. Um, it goes like this, and maybe you've been told this before when you're arguing a point with someone about ethics or morality or right and wrong. They say, who are you to say this or that is wrong? Doesn't the Bible say, judge not? Uh, and, and they like to do that. And by don't judge me, they usually mean don't think less of me because I'm doing something you don't like or agree with, or don't think that you're better than me, and people will put it that way. They think that our culture in our churches should be a no-judgment zone, and people tend to view today religion and morality as more of a preference, like the difference between whether you like Android or whether you like an iPhone. Um, an example of this would be a recent comment by Pope Francis. He said this, and I quote, If someone is gay and he searches for the Lord and has goodwill, who am I to judge? In other words, it's relative, isn't it? I mean, if they are gay and even though the Bible prohibits that and they're nice people and they want to have God in their life in some way, who am I to judge whether what they're doing is right or wrong? And so the question that is before us today with that prevailing interpretation in our culture, is that really what Jesus meant? In Matthew 7, 1, when he says, judge not and be not judged, is Jesus telling us, his followers, that there is no place in the Christian life to discern between right and wrong and good and evil, especially and probably particularly in the lives of people? Is all judging wrong? Well, it can't be that all judging is wrong because God judges. So if it's inherently evil to judge, then we have a problem because God's a sinner. So God judges, and the question is, would, would it be right for you and I to judge? Can you look at the text with me? Because it's amazing. You don't have to go very far. In fact, I don't have to turn to another text to disprove the theory that all judging is wrong or saying negative things about people is wrong or discerning right from wrong is, is a problem because the text in verses 1 through 5 is bracketed, I'm sorry, one through six, is bracketed with negative commands. The first one is the one in question. Judge not, and you won't be judged. 
But there are two other negative commands at the other end of this paragraph that explain the first one. Watch. Verse 6. Negative command. Do not give dogs what is holy. Next one. And do not, negative command, throw your pearls before pigs. Now listen. Jesus is making a judgment about others in the very text he says, don't judge others. He is saying that there are some people out there, and this is Jesus' term for them, some of them are dogs and some of them are pigs. Okay? He says that you need, don't throw your pearls before them, right? He says, and don't put what's holy before them because some people are dogs and pearls and they can't receive it. So even Jesus, in the very paragraph of verse 1, says that there are certain people who are dogs and there are pigs out there, and you should know that he's making a judgment about people. So it can't mean that you never tell someone that they are wrong. In fact, read the Gospels for yourself, and you don't have to go very far to find out that Jesus spent a lot of his ministry doing just that, telling people that they were wrong, that they were wrong about God, that they were wrong about the kingdom, they were wrong about what righteousness was, they were wrong about how you get to heaven, they were wrong about hell, they were wrong about most everything. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Jesus says to the religious leaders, first statement, you are wrong. <laughs> you are wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. They did not understand the resurrection. John 7, 7, Jesus says, the world hates me because I test about, testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus says, see, the world doesn't like me. You know why? Because I make judgment calls. I have the ability to discern between right and wrong. So as you look at our passage in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, you immediately come to this understanding that it's a very difficult passage to interpret, and most people do not interpret it correctly. So let me tell you straight out that Jesus in this text is not telling us that others judging us is the problem. What he's really telling us and actually warning us in the most serious terms is that our biggest problem is not Others judging you, but you judging others. And of course, the key word that we need to get our minds wrapped around today is the word judge. It's used four times in the text. Now, in 21st century lingo, the word judge is a dirty word. You don't say it much because the only thing it means in our day is to condemn someone, to damn them, to be separate from God, or whatever you want to call it. But the 21st century uh, definition is far different than the first century definition. The first century definition of judge is a little bit broader. In fact, it means mainly to evaluate. It means to discern, separate, in other words, push things aside to show the difference between this and this, namely right and wrong, to decide something, to, after you evaluate, come to a conclusion, to examine something. See, it's not just saying, hey, you're wrong and uh, God's judging you to hell, like we would say today. No, it's an idea of a process. 21st people, uh, first century people say, don't judge me. First century people would have said this, don't judge me unfairly. Because the word involves a discernment process. That when you take in the information, you see all the facts that are available, then you make a decision based on information about what is right and wrong. So it's not a command, 
when Jesus says, judge not. It's not a prohibition from us judging or discerning what is right and wrong in people. Let me give you an example. Jesus says to the disciples, when you go from town to town, walk through the town and find out who is worthy, meaning there are people who are not worthy, and then you should stay with them. And for the people who are unworthy, you dust the feet off of your sandals and basically said, you're anathema. So Jesus said, hey, let me tell you, in every town you're going to have to make this judgment. People are worthy and they are unworthy. Jesus says on the final day of the last judgment, same book, Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, God is going to take two groups and divide them. That's what the word means, to separate. He's going to put the sheep on one hand and the goats on the other. God's going to make a judgment. These will be the people who are saved and these are people who are lost. More than that, he says these will go into eternal life, but there is a group of people that will go to hell for the eternal punishment prepared for the devil and his angels. So to be able to judge is very critical. God makes judgments. He says there are dogs and pigs. He also says, can I point it to you lastly in our text? Chapter 7 in verse 15, which is our text in two weeks, he says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. See, Jesus is going to make a a judgment. He's going to say, hey, there are guys who look like they talk about God. They speak his word. They look like they're sheep. They're one of mine. But inside, guess what they are? Ravening wolves. See, in our 21st century, we need to do the same. So I'm going to give you an example today. Ready? I'm going to do some 1st and 21st century judging. If you've heard of the prosperity gospel, you'll find that there are people who fill the TV and the radio and write books who say they know Jesus, who say that they are preaching the truth of the gospel, but they're actually not. In fact, not at all. And what they're really out out is riches and your wallet. And if you're not careful because their message is so nice and positive and they make you feel good, that you could be deceived by them. And it would be wrong for me as your pastor not to point them out. Wolves is what they are. They look like sheep. They sound like sheep, but they are not. In fact, I took the time last week to listen to one of them on TV uh, just to see what she would say. And she shouldn't be preaching that the Bible teaches, but that's a whole other issue. But nevertheless, she was. And I, I listened to the whole 30 minutes she taught, and I couldn't hear I didn't find anything that was wrong until I watched the next time she spoke. So you could listen to a whole sermon by one of these prosperity gospel preachers and teachers, and you could be fooled. You could be fooled and like Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn, Stephen Furtick, Creflo Dollar, Paula White, Joyce Meyer, and probably most prominent, Joel Olstein. Now you listen to them. I was in Houston to see my cousin. We drove by Joel Olstein's church. It's a stadium. So we have 300 in our service or 400 people here. They had 30,000. Right? And so most people would say, well, that automatically makes him right and popular. And it doesn't. Can I tell you this? He's a wolf. Don't listen to him. Don't read his books. He does not know God. He is a wolf. And she, now you would say, well, that's harsh, Pastor Walker. Well, it is truth. And I say it in love because I would love nothing more than Joel Olstein to come to know Christ. But can I tell you this? Jesus says this. 
that we need to judge fairly. And I have fairly read him, studied him, listened to him. And what he says is heresy. In fact, it is destructive. And if you follow him, it could lead you way far from God. So in other words, in this text, Jesus is not making a prohibition about judging others because he says later, take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brothers. It's not that you're not supposed to criticize or judge or discern or take things out of people's eyes. You are, he says. So it's not that you're not to judge others or be critical of others or discerning of right and wrong and people. No, here's what Jesus is warning about. Listen, it's how we judge others. It's how we judge others. And he starts off with saying in verse 1, literally in the text, the Greek word measure is used three times in a row in the same phrase. He says, with the measure you measure others, it will be measured to you again. And the idea is don't have a double standard. So when you judge and you stand up on the pulpit and you say, hey, Joel Olstein and these other people, they're prosperity gospel people, then don't you stand up on the pulpit the next week and talk about how much if you gave God your money, he'd be happy with you. See, it'd be a hypocrite, wouldn't it, to do that? Don't have a double standard. Don't judge someone else by a standard that you don't live yourself, he says. Because if you judge people with that standard, God says, that's the standard, I will judge you. Matthew 18 records the story of two debtors. And there was one debtor who owed, literally in today's currency, about 21 or million way more than anyone could ever pay in the first century in a lifetime he could never do it and if you didn't weren't able to pay your debt the society rules were you and your wife and your kids would all be sold as slaves and you would work off that debt as long as it took even if it was the rest of your life and it would ruin and change your whole life of course and this man pleads with the master and begs him and says please have mercy on me And so the master does, in his generosity and kindness, he forgives this man's debt in its entirety, which was monumental and unheard of. But strangely enough, the story goes on to say this man who had been forgiven a mountain of debt immediately goes out and finds one of the people that owes him a small amount in comparison. He owed $21 million compared to about $300 that someone owed him. But see, he forgot what God or the master had done for him. So he got the guy by the throat and said, pay me the $300 or I'm going to have you and your family put in jail and you'll become slaves till you pay it all off. Well, the master finds out about it. And here's what he does. He comes to him and says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all your debt and you wouldn't forgive someone else their debt? And basically what he says is, you are going to do this to this man who couldn't pay you? Now I'm going to do the exact same to you. See, Jesus says, beware how you judge others. Because with the very measure of judgment that you hold against other people, God says, that's the standard that I'm going to keep for you. That's no wonder then, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus puts it in no uncertain terms when he says this, that you ought to forgive others. If you forgive others their sins, it says God will forgive yours. Watch, the same standards, but if you do not... If you do not forgive others their sins, God will not forgive you yours. See the standard? God says, be careful that you're unforgiving, that someone hurts you, offends you, and and does things against you that are wrong. Be careful that you don't hold a grudge. Be careful that you aren't bitter about it. You know why? Because your unforgiveness will be the measure of how God treats you when it comes to your own sin. 
So we would say today, in our 21st century vernacular, we would say you can't go around condemning other people when you are walking around doing the exact same things, i.e., I've heard someone lecture someone about tithing 10% of their income while I knew they were cheating on their taxes. You tell other people not to smoke or drink alcohol because it's really bad for you and you're destroying and you throw in the spiritual term the temple of your body while you are constantly eating things that are unhealthy for you and are really struggling with your weight. You tell someone not to watch the Game of Thrones series, which you shouldn't, because it is filled with perversity and junk while you are watching things far worse on the internet that would ever be on that show. See, Jesus says it this way, verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own? Can I give you a principle that I wrote down? You should not judge others more harshly or differently than you are willing to judge yourself. Again, Jesus is not, can I say it again? He is not forbidding the judgment of others. What he is saying is that our judging of people should be done justly and fairly. Here's why. Because too often we do not understand the speck and log problem that we have. Don't judge me about the Swiss cake roll in my hand while you have a Big Mac and a large fry in yours. And no, by the way, the Diet Coke does not cancel them out. Don't judge me about missing church on Sunday, public worship, when you haven't read your Bible, private worship, with God in months. Don't judge me about having an argument with my spouse Although no one knows it, when your marriage is on the rocks and headed for divorce. See, Jesus has a word, a very specific word for that kind of judging others. And he says it in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. It's a fake, a phony. It's someone who's an actor. We would say it's a sham. It's a pretense. You're wearing a mask. You're not real. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, three other times, Jesus calls the religious leaders hypocrites. This is the only time in the Sermon on the Mount where he directs that term to disciples, people who are believers. So it leads me to understand that it's possible even for God's people to be hypocrites. See, and what the word hypocrisy denotes throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly in this text, is that the problem with judging is not what we say on the outside, it's what we are on the inside. And what we are, according to Jesus, is blind. We are blind. We are really good clearly seeing the sins of others. We are often not nearly as good, certainly not as clearly seeing our own sins. So one author I wrote said, others judging without first self-judging leads to unfair judging, and it does. So you ask the question, Pastor Walker, hey, how do I know when I'm judging others unfairly or unjustly? Let me give you the answer. When you are more enraged about others' sins than you are embarrassed about your own, you are judging unfairly. Let me say it again. When you are more enraged about others' sins 
like your wife and your kids at home or people at church who don't do what you want. And you're more enraged about your boss's sins, who, by the way, doesn't even know God when you say you do. When you're more enraged about other sins than you are embarrassed about your own. See, you want to talk about that other person's sin and what they said and what they did and the lifestyle they live. And every time you see them, you want to bring it up and talk to everybody, rehash it. Rehash. And see, but you want to think about your sins and you want to forget them right off the bat. You don't want anybody bringing them up again. You want to just act like it never happened and just dismiss yours. But for everybody else, you want to bring them up. See, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is the kind of judgment that is forbidden, that there is a prohibition against, he says. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. You know what that means? Power under control. It's the word we get in English, meekness. He says, when you bring up someone else's sin, and you should, it says, you should, you ca- someone's caught in a transgression, it is your job. It is our job to find people in our church if you see they're going down a road that's going to ruin their lives or their families or their marriage. Yeah, you should say something, not be silent. He said, but here's the aim of what you say. He says, do it to restore them. It's not to just throw them under the bus. It's not just to condemn them. It's not just to point out how wicked they've been. No, the idea is to get them back to Jesus, to get them back to their family, to get them back to the church. Listen, they may not receive it, and that may not happen, but that is our aim. And why is it? Listen to this. Why? Listen to the verse, how it ends, ESV. Keep watch on yourself. See what he says? See, when you judge others, rightly so, fairly so, and you're concerned about them for the right motives and reasons, he says, all the while, here's what you need to be careful of. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Lest you also be tempted. See what he's saying? Paul is saying, listen, you know why you have to be careful? You know why you have to be humble? You know why you have to have power under control when it comes to putting other people's sin out there or judging them or critiquing what their life is about? Because you could be doing the same thing if you already aren't. Be keenly sensitive is what the word means. In other words... We look more for logs in our own eyes than specks in the eyes of others. That's what we should be doing. And the reason, Paul says, is that we are all infected with the disease of sin. The Puritan John Owen said, The seed of every sin is in every heart. And if you and I as believers truly, truly accepted that truth, We would be log finders far more than we would be speck finders. Judge not, Jesus says. This is a text and a paragraph and a verse about extreme blindness to our own sins. When I was 18, I was a senior in high school, and I was playing in basketball, and I began to see that I was missing my jump shot more than normal. I missed it nine out of ten times, and I was missing it ten out of ten times. And, but I realized, oh, you know what? It's not because my shot's off. It's my eyes are off. So I was 18. I said, never had problems before. So my mom took me to the eye doctor, and I got an eye exam. And instead of 20-20, 
my vision was 2100. And so things at a distance, including the rim, were a little blurrier than normal. And so I got glasses. I don't know if they had contacts back in the dark ages back then, but they might. But I didn't get them. I got glasses. And so I played, finished my sports career in college, and so eventually, a little later in life, things still were blurry. So I took another eye exam, and I went from 2100 to 2250. That was bad. And then, about in my 40s, I went from 2250 to 2450, which is really bad. Because I think 650, you're kind of legally blind. You can't drive without help. So I got progressives. How many have progressives? May your tribe increase. You know what I'm talking about. Now you have these one lenses who help you see distance, and now you have other lenses to help you see up close. So I got progressives. So I decided that I was going to, I'm not wearing contacts. I don't get scared. Um, but I decided I wanted contacts in case I do something outside, I go in the water or a pool or something. I want to be able to not have my glasses and actually see. I was in the ocean last year. Someone threw the ball at me and it hit me because I couldn't see it coming. So I decided I'll remedy that and I'll get some contacts once in a great while. I'll use them. And so the, yeah, I got the exam and, you know, you put your chin in that little thing and they smash that thing up to your face and they go, keep your eyes open and watch the light. And then, and, I hate that. And you get your eyes done, everything like this. And then they came to the realization, and then it was bad. Because I thought, she told me last time my eyes were improving a little bit. Because as you get older, sometimes things narrow, and they pinch you, and it gets you better vision. So she goes, okay, here you go, Pat. She goes, Lance, read the, can you read the first line? I said, yes. I told her what the letters were. She goes, can you read the second line? I go, yes. And I told her what the letters are. She goes, would you like to try that again? I said, that's only the second line. She goes, I know, but you didn't read it right. So, I, see, I thought I could see it clearly. I was sure I, could, I got those letters right. I wasn't. It wasn't clear to me at all, but I thought it was. And so she did a few more. You know, is this better? Is that better? You know, that whole spiel. And so eventually I got glasses, and my prescription went up, and I couldn't see as well as I thought. And so... I came to the realization that I come to that realization every year annually when I get my eyes tested. You know what it is? I can't see that well. And that's kind of obvious. But you know what? Every year I think I can. Until I go to the doctor and she goes, no, you're worse than you were before. I go, no, I'm not. She goes, yes, you are. Here's your prescription. Now go and stop being blind. And I said, okay. You know, the same thing happens in our lives spiritually you know what? If we're going to heed the text Jesus says, judge not, don't judge people by different standards. Don't judge people without looking in the mirror first. Here's what we need. We need God glasses. See, I have to go to God and he gives me an eye exam, except the eyes aren't here, they're here. And he says, see, I want you to judge clearly. I want you to differentiate between right and wrong. I want you to see in certain people that that's not right. That lifestyle is condemned by me. See, that is not what you can do and enter the kingdom. This is not how you talk. And I know even today I talk, people accepted that cussing is fine and the words are relative and they're bad according to you. And everyone thinks it's okay. See, God would say this. I want you to know that's a lie. That's a lie. 
And that you need to discern between that. See, but when you look at other people, see, here's what he's saying, Lance, I want you to see clearly. And to see clearly what other people are doing, you need to look at yourself. So every morning, you know what I do? I want to get up and look in the mirror. Not the one in my bathroom, the one in my hand. This one. Because this one points out to me, don't think you're that righteous, Pastor Walker, because you're not. So don't be so quick to point the finger at anyone else. Why? Because you have sin too. Don't forget that. See, he wants us to know that. And he wants us to be serious about it. How serious about it? Listen to this. In 7.5, it says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And the word take out is a unique word, not in the Gospels, but outside. And it means this, to cast out. And you know what the only other use it's used of in the New Testament? To cast out demons. It's an exorcism. That's what the word is for. To cast it out. So here's what Jesus says. I want you to be so serious about looking at yourself in the mirror that every morning when you get up and look into the Bible, you cast out all the horrible wickedness and sin of your own life. See, every morning I get up, it's an exorcism I need. I need to get God to get rid of and throw out and cast away from me all of my own sin. And then I can properly have the heart and mind and attitude to possibly be able to help others with theirs. Someone has a speck, and you point it out, they're talking about others. And we do it often without seeing the log of gossiping that we participate in regularly. We're so quick to point out the speck of how people are unforgiving. I can't believe that they're still holding that. And yet we have the log of holding a grudge for so long that we don't even talk to certain people anymore. We're so good at pointing out the speck of being critical and I can't believe they were on my case that bad. But you, you can't take criticism either. You can't see the log in your mind. Anyone points anything out to you and you get all hypersensitive. But yet you wouldn't want anyone to do that to you. See, that's the kind of judging that Jesus is against. He's against the kind of judging that doesn't turn inwardly first and see, oh God, oh God. I'm embarrassed that you could look at my heart and know the sin that dwells there. Oh, God, help me to forgive easily like you have forgiven me. Help me to realize all that I've done. You know what? We need to put the God glasses on. First, to see ourselves, and then to be able to see and help others because the aim is restoration. Judge not. It doesn't have anything to do mostly with what our culture talks about. We need to be discerning. We need to evaluate. We need to know the difference between right and wrong in our culture. But we need to do it humbly as God points out the right and wrongs in our lives. Maybe you need an eye exam today. I'll let you know, a good eye doctor, I know him personally. Uh, Jesus can give you the glasses you need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need help. We so clearly see distances. We see people who are away from us in their life, and it's so easy to point out all their faults and failures. But we need the progressive lenses so that we can see up close. See, we see far away at others so clearly, but not up close. We don't see ourselves clearly. 
And we get so angry, so upset when others fail, sin, disappoint us, offend us. But we have to look long and hard to realize and remember the last time we're in tears or in upset in our attitudes that we got on our knees and cried out to you for forgiveness. The last time we spent time on our knees repenting and begging for your mercy. Father, forgive us for such hypocrisy. Perhaps as a result of today, we need to make it right with other people. Maybe we need to call someone or write them or email them or visit with them. Father, get a hold of our hearts. And may judgment begin at the house of God. And may again, may we judge ourselves that we would not have to be judged by you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.